0: You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. I decided to go ahead and and preach this morning, though my mother-in-law passed um, on Wednesday, uh, not for lack of grief, but um, I... Uh, there is no comfort like the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, part of my just solidifying and anchoring myself through all of this has been verse 5 here that we're looking at in 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, it's an anchor for my soul. Um, my prayer is that that it would be anchored, that that this church would be anchored in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I get grief Um from people that uh, I've I've heard, I can't count the number of times, people that aren't entertained by the services on Sunday morning. Um, or they, they say they walk out and they don't feel any better. They don't feel happier. They don't feel whatever. Um, my goal isn't to entertain. My goal is to give an anchor for life. Um, when I started here five years ago, um, what I knew was that what we need more than anything we we have a world full of entertainments if you want entertained you've got endless amounts of opportunities to be entertained what we don't have endless opportunities to is to anchor ourselves in serious truth serious joy the life the good news of the gospel message and so i don't think it hurts us in fact i think it's vital for your future for my future That we take 25, 35 minutes and anchor ourselves an hour on a Sunday morning for serious consideration of who God is, what he has done through Jesus, because all of us live in a broken world. And my week's been a bad week, and we don't know whose week's bad next week, and we don't know the trials that come our way. And so we want to, before the trial comes, sink our anchor in deep. You don't want to try to develop your theology in the midst of the storm, but before the storm comes to anchor yourself in the hope of Jesus Christ so that when the storm comes, you've got an anchor sunk in deep. And so that is my prayer for this congregation and for us all. And so it's my joy, and I think it's an honoring to Charlene, actually, to say that in the midst, I think that if I could say so, she would be uh, honored to, and, and be pleased To know that even in the midst of trials, what we're going to do here is we're going to take time to look at Jesus and rejoice in who he is and all that he is, all that God for us is for us through him. That is way more preamble than I ever give. (laughs) First Peter, because this is not about me, but I share that. Now let's get into the word. First Peter chapter one, verses three through five. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. in the last time. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So this morning we're going to finish working through, Lord willing, we'll be done here with verse five. We've been several weeks now in verses three through five. We've really slowed down here right up front, but we've done so on purpose. My point in slowing down is that Peter is writing a a broad, sweeping rejoicing for the church that he's writing, these churches that are scattered here, the dispersion. He's, He's writing to them this broad, sweeping rejoicing to anchor themselves into. Remember, I've stressed multiple times throughout this series so far, the trial that Peter is in, he's in prison in Babylon, he calls it, but in Rome, he's in prison He is going to die, be martyred there under Nero. These churches, as we get further on into the book in the coming weeks, we'll see the trials and the suffering, the struggling that they are going through. And so Peter, right up front, he's just trying to placard for them the the joy over this anchor that's going to hold them through the midst of the suffering that comes in this life that if the reader will have eyes of faith to see this anchor, they'll find themselves anchored through the deepest storms of life. So to do that, we have to address a common perspective that the New Testament puts forward throughout all of its pages. And it's, it's sometimes referred to, and I like to refer to it as, the already and not yet. The already and the not yet. And we live in this See this period of time in the already and the not yet. The already is that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. We have been born again. It's a past tense reality that we live in the already and we also live in the not yet There is something yet coming, he talks about in verse 5, that we're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. We're in the already and the not yet. When the Christian considers that their life and their standing with God, there is a sense in which we are already justified before God through faith in Jesus Christ. All mankind... As sinners before God, deserving of his justice, deserving of his wrath and his judgment as sinners, all mankind, that's not being, being mean to any certain individual, that is me lumping myself in with the mass of humanity, all of us deserving of God's justice and judgment, can be born again, can be saved through the work of Christ. Jesus lives the righteous life we should have lived but didn't. He dies the death we deserve upon the cross, suffering under God's wrath, and then he conquers it three days later by rising from the dead. And we are told that everyone, turning from their sins, confessing themselves as sinners and trusting in Christ and his work, will be forgiven of their sin, made righteous in God's sight. This is the glorious good news that when that happens, God is taking out the heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh that you might love God, that you might rejoice in who Jesus is. This is what God does to cause us then to be born again. And so there's the all readiness of you're born again. When you trust Christ, you are his. You love him. You are reconciled. You are forgiven. You are already justified, made righteous in his sight. Yet, here we are living in a broken world, living through struggles, still dying, right? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, yet here we still are dying. So there's a sense of already we've been forgiven and our sins have been washed clean, yet there still is not the full reality on the ground of this good news. We live in a moment of the already and the not yet. We know that Peter is describing something that ought to bring the Christian joy because look where he goes immediately in verse 6. He writes this 3 through 5, this blessing of God and the inheritance that is ours, this living hope that is ours, and then he says in this you rejoice. Now that's next week, but there's something being described here in verses 3 through 5 that Peter is just certain that if you are God's in this You'll rejoice. In this, we rejoice. He's writing about something here that causes the believer in Jesus to rejoice even in the midst of their present difficulties. How can any truth be big enough? How can a truth that is already and not yet bring this joy? Well, I've got four ways that this already and not yet truth brings us joy. The first way that this already but not yet reality brings us joy is by the glories that it is. is—the Just the glories of its reality. And that's what we've spent the past few weeks talking about in verses 3 and 4. We're able to rejoice in this reality that Peter speaks about because of how glorious it is. Remember last week we're talking about this inheritance that is ours. It's a living hope. It's not a hope that that maybe you have out there, and then you achieve it, and then it dies away. It's an ongoing living hope, and we know that because it's tied to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But also this inheritance, it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Qualities that we cannot imagine. Everything we could ever achieve or hope for or want to get in this life, is perishable, it is defiled, and it is fading. Defiled meaning it is sinful. It it has sinfulness attached to it. Everything we could ever get in this life, perishable, defiled, fading. But this inheritance has qualities beyond what we can even imagine. It's, It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. The glories of what we have here in heaven kept for us There is nothing of greater value that a person can accumulate than the inheritance that is given to the one who is brought into God's family through faith in Christ. There is no greater inheritance than this one. Because this is one that is unlike any other inheritance. So we're... The already but not yetness can bring us joy because of the glories of this inheritance that is already ours but yet not fully realized. Think of the greatness of this inheritance. But secondly, it brings us joy because of the security of this inheritance. What is found in Jesus brings great rejoicing because of the security of what we find. The end of verse 4, it says here. This inheritance is imperishable, defiled and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for us. But then you go on to verse 5. It says, who by God's power are being guarded. That's attached to the, the you there. You're the, the This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, and then you are being guarded. You are being kept. The inheritance is kept for you, and you... As the person, the believer in Christ, you are kept for it. It's doubly kept for you. Think of the security that comes with this inheritance. Not only do we, is it glorious in its existence, but it is kept for us, and we are kept by God's power for it. I mean, you could write the movie line, couldn't you, of the person who's, I mean, we could, you probably could tell all kinds of of hard, awful stories of people acquiring an inheritance or somebody wins the lottery or whatever and they drive to go collect the lottery and I don't know, it blows out the window and on the way to the trip, it's, it's, the, it's all gone. In the middle of receiving the great inheritance, it just disappears. It was wonderful to think you'd won, but then now it is gone. They weren't, it wasn't, it it wasn't kept. And and maybe on the way there, God forbid, something happens to the individual. They had a great inheritance waiting for them, but then they didn't make it to get the inheritance. Maybe it was guarded, but they weren't (coughs) guarded. And this is not the reality of this inheritance. It is kept for us, and we are kept for it. It's like having. An inheritance that not only is guarded by an army to keep it for you, but that then the army comes and sees you on your way to make sure that you get it. That's how secure the inheritance that God has for his people is. Not only is he keeping it in heaven for them, he is keeping them for it. That they will make it all the way to their inheritance. One commentator says it this way, it is as though God has put us under arrest to keep us safe for this day. Now, at times it doesn't feel this way, right? Many times it feels as though even if we believe that God has good a good final reality secured for us, we feel like we make this journey unto it totally alone. But that is not what Peter says He reminds the readers that as they go through their suffering, he says to them, this inheritance, it's kept for you and you are being guarded by God's power to achieve it. You are not alone. You are not adrift. If you are his, he has an inheritance promised, secured for you and you are secured for him. If you are his, there is no safer place to be. He reminds the reader the inheritance is kept in heaven for us. It is secure, and that God is guarding over us every day until we reach it. So, this truth, this already but not yet reality, brings us joy because of the glories of it, because of the security of it, but also because of the readiness of it. Verse 5 Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. It's ready. It's ready. Why is that important? Well, there's a certain imminence that is, that is in this passage. There's, there's nothing more to be done for this inheritance to be received. It is ready for you. God is not in heaven with this inheritance with a checklist waiting for you to get everything right or waiting for you to perform all the, jump through all the hoops or make all the hurdles. If you are His through faith in Christ, this inheritance is ready for you. There's no laundry list of to-dos. There's no burden upon your back to merit God's favor or to earn His inheritance. It is ready to be revealed. That is glorious good news. What religion tells us, common religion throughout the world over, is here are the steps for you to climb to get to God. What the gospel tells us is here's what God has done to come down to us and to save us. Not here's how you save yourself. Here's what God has done to save you through Jesus Christ. And then having saved you, that inheritance is ready to be revealed. You don't there's the, the work has been done by Christ, and so the Christian now rejoices and rests in the finished work of Christ. It is ready for us. It brings us joy because of its glories, because of its security, because of its readiness. But lastly, how does it bring us joy? By keeping our eyes on this glorious future. He says, he talks about this being guarded through faith, with the eye of faith, we are looking for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. There is a last time coming. There is a last time coming. It is seen by faith to emphasize that it is not our doing that brings it to us, but simply a trust in God who has done and who is doing that brings this promised future to us. There is yet a further resting, trusting in God who created this incredible promised inheritance. He secures it for us, secures us for it, and he brings it about, will bring it about at the appropriate time by his own power alone. We are guarded through faith. We trust him. We don't have to work for it. It's ready for us, and through the eye of faith, we look to it and trust him. All that there is for the Christian to do is to trust him for this inheritance. This is the hope that the writer of Hebrews calls the followers of Christ to in, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. This follows the passage of 927, which is appointed for men once to die, and then comes the judgment, Hebrews chapter 9, Verse 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Verse 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin. He did that the first time. To deal with, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. There is a coming last day. Paul puts it his own way in Philippians chapter 3. Not Philemon, Philippians chapter 3. Wrong book that starts with a P. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Paul says it this way. He says, our citizenship, where we belong, remember Peter addresses us as um, aliens, elect aliens. Remember that beginning, elect exiles, these aliens. So Paul, under the same mindset, our citizenship, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. How do we, how do Christians live out the call to a radically different life? We live in the world with everyone else, called to live to a radically different life that is ready, that is lived by faith, that is trusting him, that has a living hope, how are we to live out this call to a radically different life? By having a radically different hope. Having a radically different hope. Radically different because we're called to not only love our neighbors, but also our enemies. To bless them and not to have repercussion against them. How are we to even sacrificially bless not only those that we love and care for, but to bless sacrificially those that actually don't like us, our enemies? What And if it really even costs us, how are we going to live out that radical reality by having a radically different hope? Our hope is not In this life, it is not for the things of this world. We have an inheritance kept for us in heaven. It's guarded for us. I'm guarded for it. There is no way that I will not receive in that last time what God has secured for me. The believer in Christ, there is no way they will not secure their every joy through faith in Jesus Christ. How are we able to do that? By having radically different hope. How are we to rejoice in every sorrow? I mean, honestly, it's, that's hard. I mean, you know, you, we've been, you've been through the, the pangs of grief in various times. And the Christian is called, like Paul talks about, to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. How in the world, when you say goodbye, when there's that finality, is a person supposed to rejoice in the midst of sorrow? Even the death of close loved ones. Do we not grieve? Well, certainly, that's, of course we grieve. It's insanity to not grieve. Christ himself grieved. Isaiah says he's a man, man of sorrows and familiar with grief. Jesus himself grieves. It's not that we don't grieve. It's not that we don't even grieve deeply, but we do not grieve as the world does. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, we do not grieve as others do who have no hope we can grieve and rejoice. How? We have a different hope. How can we live radically to forgive others, no matter the greatness of their offense? How? By having a different hope. I'm not out for vengeance, my own vengeance. I'm not out, my, I'm not out for my own edification, for my own representation. No injustice will escape the great judge. Every wrongdoing will either be covered by the blood of Jesus For those who cling to him are punished in God's perfect righteousness. How can we forgive no matter the greatness of the offense by having a different hope? How can we stand for truth even when the world stands against us? When the rest of the world says this is obviously the way life should be, how do we stand for truth when the world is against us by having a different hope? If friends abandon us, if family even abandon us and disown us, if the world calls us evil and calls us backwards, out of the times, calls us whatever thing they may say to us, how can we still stand for truth? By having a different hope. This living hope, this inheritance, is that the day of the revealing of Jesus Christ is ready and is sure to come. There is a last time coming. Scripture repeats it over and over again. You can go all the way back to minor prophets like the book of Joel, talks about the coming day of the Lord. There's a coming day when Jesus will return where there is a final reckoning. There is a last time coming and the Christian can be comforted that if all is not right with the world, it simply means all is not done yet. If all is not right with the world, It just means all is not done yet. There is a last moment coming. It is the day that Christ will return, judge the world in righteousness, renew the new heavens and the earth, and inaugurate his kingdom. And on that day, he will resurrect all mankind, and those who are his will enter into their inheritance, it having been kept for them, and them having been kept for it. That day is not today. Well, not yet today anyway. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) So far, that day is not today. So far, that day is not today. But that day is ready. That day is glorious. That day is secure. We are secured for it. We ought to look to it. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7 says, Walk by faith and not by sight. If things are not yet okay, then they aren't. If things are not yet okay, it simply means this is not yet the end. The day is coming. Christ will return. This inheritance that is for his children will be fully realized. Trust in Christ and rejoice in him. Look to him with the eye of faith for a joy unimaginable that will be revealed in the last day. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would anchor our hearts in this hope. There is an inheritance that is not earned, that is not merited by any of our works, only the work of Jesus Christ. And we pray that this morning you would find us to be those repentant and trusting in Christ, knowing that there is an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, uh, undefiled, kept in heaven for us who are being guarded for faith and salvation to be ready to be revealed in the last time. God, may that truth, may that hope, that living hope anchor our hearts in Jesus Christ pray these things in his name. Amen.